Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Dr. Stephen Berryman is Director of Music at City of London School for Girls and a visiting research fellow in the School of Education, Communication and Society at King's College London. He previously taught at the North London Collegiate School and the Junior Academy of the Royal Academy of Music. Stephen has examined and moderated for GCSE and A-level music and contributed composition chapters to two study guides for Rheingold Education and a chapter for an edited volume from Routledge. He has been a Teach Through Music Fellow and a teacher advocate for Music Excellence London in addition to education projects with the learning departments of the Royal Opera House, London Philharmonic Orchestra, and NMC Recordings. Stephen is an active composer and performer, and is a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and a freeman of the Musician's Company and a liveryman of the Worshipful Company of Educators. It is my pleasure to welcome Stephen to our podcast. Okay, so thank you very much, Stephen, for joining us today. What time is it there in London? It is 3.03 p.m. Uh, so you've just finished your school day or do you have more yeah. to go? Uh, another hour before choir starts and then choir will finish about 4.30. So a little bit of time. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day uh, no to problem. speak with us. I think um, what I would love to start out um, uh, talking about is in, in the UK and, and the US, there, there are differences for the paths of music educators here in the US. Mm -hmm you go to school specifically to be a music educator. And, and usually that means that you focus less on the performance side of things. And I know that's different uh, in the UK. So I'd love to get a little bit of background about uh, you know, how you got into music and then how you eventually ended up uh, teaching at the City of London School for Girls. Sure, um, when I started playing the flute when I was 10, I wanted to play the cello, but they didn't have one. So they said, why don't you try the flute? So I started the flute. And interestingly, quite early on in my flute playing, I was quite keen to improvise. And my school music teacher was fantastic. He right. was always giving me ideas about what I could compose. He'd show me some music and say, oh, why didn't you have a go at doing your own version of this? And, you know, I started composing quite early. So even though as a flute player, composing was something I did quite early. And so all the way up through my school years, I did GCSE music when I was... 15, 16, I did A-level music. And then I went to university to study music and I kept up my flute playing. I was also playing the piano by that point. I was still composing. And I loved that general music education, you know, playing in orchestras, studying analysis, studying music history, learning about musicology, coupling all of that with practical skills. So keyboard harmony, conducting, singing in choir. And I, I loved that broad uh, music 
study. That's great. When I came to studying after that, I knew I was going to carry on. And so I thought, I'll do a master's. And I was looking for a master's course that would allow me to keep doing that broad range of music. And so I went to Royal Holloway after my undergraduate at Cardiff. And again, brilliant course, advanced musical studies. I could keep doing you know, musicology, do some playing, do composing. I was just so determined not to specialize. And so right. I thought, ah, PhD. By that point, it was composition PhD. But then my, my brother-in-law called up and said, there's a job going at my school in Dorset. And I thought, I don't want a job. I'm loving this life of being a student, you know, endless days in libraries and composing. But they made me go, made me apply. And annoyingly, I got the job. <laughs> and so my teaching, I never destined to be a teacher. I think I always knew I was going to be a teacher because it's just so natural, I think, for musicians to be teachers because yes. we love communicating music. We love talking about it. We love making it. And I think being a music teacher, you are still a musician. So I got the job in this boarding school in Dorset, Claysmore, and it was, it was a real baptism of fire in some respects, learning on the job right. how to teach music. But I, I loved it because I was just being a musician with people who are slightly less experienced musicians. And so I really got stuck in. And that was when I got into music technology in a way, because they asked me, could I introduce it to the school? And having done so much composing, I'd used music technology. I'd used things like Logic. I'd used things like Cubase and Sibelius, but I'd never had to have taught it or taught recording. So I had to learn. I had to get the gear, I had to, you know, understand hardware, software. And it was great introducing something new and seeing that enabled so many musicians who before that had no way of accessing music, you know, as a way, say, a classical musician had their instrument they could play or, you know, jazz musicians were playing an instrument. So those kids who wanted to make music but didn't play instruments, there wasn't that outlet. So introducing music tech was a lot of fun. And then after Claysmore, I moved to London, went to another school, um, and went to another school, and then now this is my fourth school, uh, City of London School for Girls, right in the heart of the Barbican. And it's a lovely place to be because it is right in the heart of the City of London, next to a concert hall, next to a conservatoire, next to the Museum of London, 10 minutes from St Paul's Cathedral. It feels like such a, a major cultural hub, and it's quite an exciting place to teach music because there's just music and arts are everywhere. Yeah, I, I remember visiting you, uh, you know, earlier this year, or it might have even been about a year ago, uh, and just being so impressed in the location. And so for those listeners that know, don't know London, uh, Stephen's right, it is smack dab in the middle of probably mm. the cultural heart, or certainly uh, from a music standpoint. Yeah, I just was looking around saying, I cannot believe where I am. This is, an, this is a school plopped right in the middle of the Barbican mm. uh, and the guild halls, right? You know, like you can yeah. walk, I think it's not even a block <laughs> walk away. So. No, it's 30 seconds away. And to, to, you know, we're able to take students to concerts. We heard the LSO play, the Rite of Spring. Over lunchtime, they didn't miss a lesson, took under a minute to get there. And oh, I mean, more excitingly, they're building a new concert hall. Well, touch wood, it's going to happen in the next six or seven years. Right. They're going to be moving the Museum of London. It's going to move to a slightly different location in the city. And its current location will be occupied, fingers crossed, by a, a you know, real world-class concert hall. And there's lots of discussions happening now. And it's even you know, gone to, there's designs and everything that have been... Oh, wow. Recently. So it's quite exciting that to think that we will be the only school in the world, probably, well, I'm, I'm, I'm can't, not sure if that's true, but I think we're probably one of the only schools in the world to be next door to a concert hall. Certainly that, a world-class concert hall. So certainly in the next six, seven years, it's going to be a very exciting time for the school. 
Excellent. And do you, and, and before, before I get into the, the questions about music tech, because I'm just so fascinated about, do the kids have any opportunities to perform with any of those? Or, or is that something that they would do on their own? Or is there any connection between your school and these incredible institutions that are around you? Well, we've done, uh, we've done some concerts with some groups. So we've done a performance at the Barbican with the Crouch End Festival Chorus. It's a really mm -hmm. big society. Fantastic Chorus Society, done lots of diverse work, conducted by David Temple, you know, they've been recorded on Oasis albums, oh, wow. classical music, and so we did a performance with them at the Barbican of some British music, they needed some children's voices, so we've done that, and I know looking ahead, we'll probably be doing Carmina Burana with a, a Choral Society at the Royal Festival Hall. Wow. Uh, and we do a lot with livery companies in the city. So these ancient guilds, these old organizations that some have existed for hundreds of years, and many of which support the school. So there's the Worshipful Company of Needlemakers and groups such as them, you know, right. some industries that don't exist anymore, but they continue their charitable objectives. And many of these groups and guilds support the school through scholarships. And so we give something back by providing musicians for performances, for special events. So we're being in the middle of the city, we get to be involved in not only these professional music making opportunities, but also interesting opportunities for some of these very special organizations in the city. So it's, it's quite busy. Yeah, so how long have you been there, Stephen? This will be my fourth year now. So I joined in September, 2015. Wow. And so you've, uh, you know, when I, when I met you, I was just really, really impressed with the facility and the program. Why don't you tell our listeners about, about the program there, the music program, how many students, like what, what you teach and, and how many other music teachers there are. Mm. So this is a school of nearly 700 students, ranging from the age of eight to 18. So in the UK, we call that year three, mm -hmm. right, start, right up to year 13. So the last year before they go on to university. And one of my missions is that everyone must be involved in music. So not only in the UK, it is compulsory, certainly in the state sector. So I'm working in an independent school, but in the state sector, music is compulsory until the age of 14, whether or not that happens. We obviously know different right. things, you know, funding issues and things, but officially uh, everyone should be involved in music making in the classroom up until the age of 14. And that's certainly the case here. So we have a preparatory department, so that's eight to 10, uh, and there's 100 girls, and every girl learns an orchestral instrument. That's part of our program here in small groups. So by the end of their four years in the prep, every child will have played four different orchestral instruments of the year. In wow. Situation. Every girl is involved in choir once a week. Every girl is involved in orchestra. And we also have a range of other musical challenges. So we have some chamber music going on. We've had in the past small chamber choir. Uh, we've had music theory club. I run a prep composing club. So I do composing with uh, eight, nine, 10 year olds because I'm quite keen they get going with that quite early on. Right. We have an annual prep opera, which we call it prep opera, but it's, it's more like a musical uh, as well as a festival, uh, kind of a festive concert in December as well as a poetry and music afternoon. And so across the year, the most important thing for preps is having this, this music time on the timetable. You know, they get four periods of music a week, which is brilliant. Wow. Um, in addition to some of these public performances, which the parents love. And so when the, they enter senior school, which pretty much all of them do, it expands from one class per year to four. 
And then same with year seven, eight and nine. So that's kind of 11, 12 and 13 year olds. This is that compulsory music phase. There are about 30 activities a week students can do. So if you play an instrument, there is, there is something for you. We've wow. got four orchestras, four choirs, as well as a range of chamber music. And there is something for everyone to be involved in a group and for everyone to be involved in some kind of public performance if they wish. And that's part of my mission here, that there is something for everyone. And so we've got usually around 80 events a year, which range from chamber music concerts, lunchtime concerts, symphonic concerts, concerts in and out of school, choral concerts. We do some joint concerts with some other schools. We're doing a, a joint chamber music concert in Piccadilly in a few weeks' time. We're doing another concert with all our city schools, 13 of them in March at Milton Court on the Barbican. We do musicals, Thank um, <laughs> workshops. So, and we, you know, it's just, it's really busy. And so I think girls who come here are never bored. Um, they're really <laughs> for everyone. No one could say, oh, you know, can my daughter perform in this? There doesn't seem to be a concert for her. You know, in the time I've been here, no one has ever said that. Right. But and it, it really yeah, is for everyone. I am sure that our listeners are as as uh, astounded as I am about you know just the comprehensiveness of the program and the, and the offerings. But to be clear, this your school is not a performing arts school. It is a comprehensive. No. School. <laughs> I mean that's the other thing. It's, it's a normal school. Obviously, it's incredibly academic, in that it is highly selective, and in terms of academic performance nationally, it performs exceptionally well. It's in right. the t- 10 schools in the UK for academic performance. And I always tell parents this when they, they ask about, you know, can they learn two instruments? You know, is that going to affect their academic studies? And I always remind them, take a look at the league tables because we have about 65% of the school will learn an instrument at school. So they are coming out of a lesson to go to an instrumental lesson or a singing lesson and um, delivered by a team of 35 visiting musicians. Oh my goodness. It's not affecting their academic performance at all. So if anyone's looking for data to prove that music only enhances your academic study, I think this school proves that's the case. Oh, absolutely. The advocacy, uh, you know, for at least... I think every music educator knows that we always feel as though we're we're kind of championing, championing our own cause and that music is yeah. important. But uh, that's a fantastic uh, bit of, uh, uh, you know, whether... Whether it's uh, you know a casual connection, I don't think it is. Uh, the the fact that you have such a comprehensive music program at such an incredible school is a testament, not only to uh, the power of music education, but also the power of the program that you've built uh, with your faculty. Yeah. So well done. So I'm interested to hear about how you're using music technology in this in this school, in your sure. program. I mean, interestingly, because before I joined. Oh, you know, trying to do my homework and find out about the department. And one area that needed the most development was the use of music technology. And when I came to visit before I started in the September, we had uh, lots of computers, you know, 30 machines, all running Sibelius, all running Cubase, all with a keyboard attached. But interestingly, someone had made a comment a few years ago, but that's just one type of musician, isn't it? Mm. You know, every musician wants to access music technology via a keyboard, a piano keyboard via Sibelius or via Cubase. What else is there? And that's what got me searching out different opportunities. So things that were cloud-based, different kinds of apps, because not every musician's the same. And so whilst, you know, we hope we've got a really strong music program 
and the school is highly selective. So there is that consistency in English, maths and science. Students are all performing consistently very well. But music is that one subject and maybe art as well and maybe drama where you still get that diverse pupil experience and pupil ability. So in the same classroom, you can have someone that's way beyond taking grade exams on their instrument. They're playing in a national orchestra, um, you know, receiving specialist tuition. They're doing fantastically well. And there might be someone next to her who's never played a musical instrument. Mm. They've joined the school from somewhere else that perhaps had less music going on. So we've got a real, a real challenge as music teachers to make sure our classrooms are really inclusive and stretch everyone. So we need more than one type of music technology. So that's why I became so interested because I needed to find, well, what other resources are out there to make sure that we're stretching everyone? And that's how, how I found music first, really. I was mm. looking for this, something that provided that breadth of uh, different programs, softwares, apps that would allow different students with different musical experiences to still be musicians. Uh, and still create music and engage in music in a way that met their experience, but at the same time push them to be even better. Wow, that's that. Well, first of all, that's I'm 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 thrilled that uh, you guys are using music first. This is your second school year that you've been using it. Yeah, so it was, uh, we really took it quite slowly, and I think I've learned it's best to take your time. Yep, that's my advice to anyone who thinks about trying anything new. Right. Always try it yourself first. Uh, and just take your time with it because it takes time to change things. And I mm. suppose uh, certainly we've been using it. I was quite keen to extend what happened beyond the classroom. And a missed opportunity I felt for us was homework. And we weren't doing homework in music. And I suppose you'd think to yourself, well, we can't really, can we? Because say if they were using Sibelius or they won't have Sibelius at home. So they can't do that. We'll have to wait till next lesson. So right. what I loved about having something cloud-based was that, ah, they can log in at home, they can keep going. And that was the first dramatic thing. So after now it's been, yeah, this will be our second year of getting used to music first and kind of embedding it in what we do. And certainly with the older students, so those doing GCSE in year 15, you know, those ones who've opted to do music beyond that compulsory phase, with music first, and it's the first time that it's happened in my career using NoteFlight, that they've been able to carry on with their composing Typically, you would do it on software at school. They wouldn't have a software at home. And so it had this hiatus every week. They'd come back and they haven't done anything. But now they come back and they've done something. And even over a holiday, you know, they might have a vacation for two or three weeks. They come back and they've done something. Yeah. That's what has really struck me in the department is that now we can enable progress between lessons. And that's what technology has enabled in a way that it didn't before. And I know now there's a few more options, you know, Sibelius has other options and things, but I think there's a real strength in the Music First model for us because it builds that community, particularly with NoteFlight and adding comments and things. And so I, I like that idea that you can have that uh, dialogue with your students. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when I, I taught with uh, Sibelius for years when I was in uh, middle school, so key stage three here in the U.S., and I, the two things always struck me, and I, I'd love to get your insight on this, is that number one, the kids absolutely loved composing with Sibelius. They, they, they really felt like, wow, I'm, I'm shaping my ideas. This is great. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit of a hurdle to get them over the idea of what notation is and how it works. Mm-hmm. But once I got them over, and, and a noble cause, uh, but once I got them over that, they would really get into it. 
but two things always struck me. Number one, the thing that you just mentioned, which is they would be right in the middle of, you know, a creative inspirational moment and then the bell would ring and yeah. that was it. And then they'd have to wait till the next day. Um, and number two, uh, what student do you know that is creative at, at a specific time during the day? I know as an adult, yeah. like 5 a.m. to 5.30 a.m., for whatever reason, I've been blessed with that's when I'm the most creative is when <laughs> I wake up first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love the fact that students can be doing this at 11.30 at night when you and I are probably asleep. Mm. Uh, they, and they could be have a creative burst and use it whenever they want. I, you, do you agree that, that having Completely. that? Completely. Yeah. And I think that's that's a great thing about having something they can use on you know any device whenever they need because I think you know we we want students to look after themselves we don't want students working throughout the night but, right. but you know the nature of life is that people need to work at you know we have the flexibility about when they work you know if they've got a long commute home or they've got other duties to do in the evening so having something that allows them to in, to log in work in a composition when they're able to when they feel most creative as you say. Um, I think is great rather than having that that fixed time when Sibelius is available or whatever you might be using and that's the only chance they get to be a composer so it's been brilliant for that respect oh, and we great. just started looking at it more recently as a tool for assessment in that and I think this is because you showed me this when you visited that idea of creating a task scheduling tasks was really quite good because what is enabled us to do now is to chart the way students have been practicing and working on something they're preparing for a concert. So we're all of year seven, so all our 11, 12 year olds have a concert coming up in a few weeks time, 100 of them, everyone's involved and they're learning some music, some music they're gonna perform as a whole year group, some they're learning in classes and we can set them tasks to practice their part and they can record themselves doing a bit of practice and they right. can set that recording, which is great because sometimes going around a classroom, there's no way I'm gonna be able to hear 24 people play me an excerpt of their piece in the time I've got. Right. But if they all submit a recording, I can access in the time I have when I'm able to and give them some comments. But it also allows us as a team to moderate and listen to each other's work. Mm. It's just organized far more efficiently. We've spent years, I mean, in my 16th year of teaching now, and I still never quite find that kind of sweet spot of how I'm going to store files, how I'm going to label things, and I found that this has allowed, it's kind of killed those two birds with one stone. It's been great for the kids, but also it's been great for us in that now we have something for organizing recordings and charting their progress. I know now I can open up a candidate, a student on uh, Music First, and if I needed to show a colleague or even a school inspector, I can show them the student work and they can see the progress and they can hear the progress, which I think is ideal. Right, that's yeah. great. So aside from um, the recordings that you just mentioned and, and mm -hmm. a, a bit of a note flight, what other types of activities in terms of music technology, and it could be any software, mm. are, are you doing with the students? What, what gets the kids excited and, and you know, what have you been doing with uh, you know, what types of projects? I mean, rather geekishly, they quite like oral training. Mm. Um, and so Aurelia has been quite good for us in that respect. They love doing interval training which is quite fun yeah. and sequencing has been quite fun uh, because again, I think sometimes notation based programs don't always work for everyone. Uh, and so Soundtrap, we tried Soundation for a bit, but Soundtrap has been the most successful of the students. And I think it's the immediacy of it, that they can generate music 
rapidly. And I think that has been thrilling to watch. And I think that's the thing that's been a big reminder for me and my colleagues that we always have a bit slightly nervous about, you know, will they understand how to use this? Will they make so sense of the interface? And what is always really astounding is if whatever we've asked them to do, so if perhaps one activity you might do is give them an incomplete file, I might give them the beginning of something and I might ask them to continue it or to do some kind of transformation material I give them uh, in a pre-existing file. And I always tell colleagues, we don't need to tell them how to do this. We don't have to give them a right. crib sheet. They will just know. And it's just phenomenal. And I've done this with so many different age groups, even eight-year-olds, you know, using note flight. They've never asked me, how do I put notes in? They just know. And so I think it's been, it's been great for that, that students have this real immediacy, just getting going with music. We don't need to explain anything. That's been yeah. a for us. I think, I mean, I've, I've interviewed a, a bunch of people at this point for these podcasts, and I hear that theme over and over. And it's something that I've been talking about for years is that students uh, and the kids that we teach, so I'm, I'm, I'm pushing 50 years old, so I'm definitely a, at least a generation or two older than the kids who are in school now. Um, but I've always noticed that they just seem to know how to do things uh, mm. that, that I have to go on YouTube and watch tutorials. Same, um, same. And, and, and when teachers see, I, I think in music education specifically, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is that we are absolute experts in our field of either performing music, composing music, you know, music theory. We're, we, we went to so much schooling <laughs> in our time. And so we are experts at, at it. But when, and perhaps it's because of that, that when we feel out of our element or when we feel like we're not an expert in something, that it's really sometimes scary to use technology, which is often uh, what music teachers find uh, the least, you know, the thing that they're least comfortable with is is kind of software with all colors and the kids can bring in all kinds of things and make all mm. kinds of crazy sounds that we don't really know what we're necessarily doing, but that the kids do and it's okay to give up that control and okay to let the students actually teach you. Um, I, I've found that my own children taught me things or te continue to teach me things about technology. Is that, is that the same over there on, on your side of the ocean? Yeah. I would say so completely. And I always, it's a bit like when I discovered Prezi, I only discovered Prezi because a student used it for an assignment once mm. and showed me what it was. And I, I think they often, they're just so, in, there's so much ingenuity about how they use devices. And certainly here, every student gets an iPad. And so that mobile technology is integrated into the curriculum quite heavily. We have a mobile technology coordinator who right. supports staff in making use of it. And so students are often showing, often showing staff things they've discovered, an app that makes so-and-so easy to do or something for presentations or something for producing some kind of poster. And it's just, or video, video, they're just phenomenal at. And I think staff are always in awe of what students have been able to do with technology. And it's been made them even more creative. I wouldn't have said it's dumbed anything down at all. Right. Right. It's actually enabled them to be even more rapid in their creativity. It's, it's kind of enhanced it. And, and how do you get training? What do you do to learn? I mean, is it, do you learn primarily from the students or are you going on YouTube? Are you going to conferences? How, what kind of training, uh, you know, are, are you getting to, to be able to use this stuff? Uh, a, bit of, a bit of all of those things right. in some respect, or, you know, speaking to people such as yourself, hassling people to help with things. To right. them. But actually that's, I found that's always been the case with all the music technology I've ever used. 
the the support you get from the organizations that promote it or create it it's been really really good and that's one thing i always you know when i meet teachers i always say do get in touch with so and so write to so and so because they really want to make sure you can use this product this software this hardware really well because you know it's a big investment for them they want people to use their products so they want them to get the most out of them they want them to keep using them so that's i've always that's been the best port of call for me for getting advice and YouTube's been brilliant. There's lots of great videos on how to do things, which are short. Um, and sometimes I've used YouTube videos like that in lessons, mm -hmm. you guides, because they are so efficient um, on time-wise. And it's far quicker to play that to a class than for me to talk them through myself. Even though I might be slightly confused by how to do something. Um, but yeah, YouTube's really, but sharing with colleagues, any way to share with colleagues and chat to colleagues. Is the best way because I think it's that once someone is able to explain, I had a go at this, I used the software, it was fantastic, this is what I did, let me show you how I did it. You, you see what the benefit is. Sometimes it's quite hard to see that when you're looking out for music technology. You need to see what it actually does and how it could impact what you do in the classroom. And that's, you need another appear to tell you that, another right. teacher to show you what they do. And so your colleagues are the best source of advice and information about music tech, I think. Yeah. Now, I, I just to shift the conversation for a minute, and then and then uh, uh, to wrap things up. The the in the UK, uh, we have a product called Focus on Sound. I was wondering if you've dived into that yet, and and what your students uh, think of it. Have you have you had a chance to use Focus on Sound with your kids? Yeah, we. I mean, we've primarily used it as a resource for research. So certainly with older ones, we look at music from around the world. And so it's been a great platform for learning about different instruments, learning, learning about different musical cultures, mm. to watch clips of things and instruments, hear performances. And so it's been a really useful tool in that respect and a really useful tool for students as they're revising for exams. Music right, exams. The, the GCSE uh, yeah. setworks are in there. Yeah, setworks, A-level two. And it's certainly something we'd like to use even more lower down in the school i think because it's got so much on there and i've been spending a bit of time so at the end of last year early this year looking at it a lot more and it's a phenomenal resource in terms of a wealth of what's on there yeah i met a lot of teachers uh, when i was at a conference in december lots of teachers i met there were using it uh, and i think they found it quite a strong resource for the classroom certainly for some of that more academic content yeah uh, might... It is by far our most popular product in the UK. Uh, okay. it, it is in a, it is in a ton of schools, and mm. it's really they they found the GCSE setworks and said, "Oh my goodness, man!" So for for the American listeners to this podcast, uh, the UK has a fantastic system of examinations and and graded and leveled examinations that students do. And there are you heard the GCSE. There's all these A levels, and then there mm. are testing organizations that create materials to get kids ready for those examinations. In the, in the United States, we really don't have anything like that. Oh, really? Uh, nothing like that. Instead, it is each state will have its own all-state kind of performance uh, audition, and the students will have to play at a very high level to be seated in those ensembles. Mm. But there is no, like, uh, test for music technology or test. There's an AP music theory test, which is as close as we get. Uh, but for those uh, those uh, American listeners, it, the UK has a very different uh, system, and it's it's absolutely fabulous. I wish we had it 
over here in terms of these kind of, uh, you know, you make an exam and then it, all of a sudden it becomes really important here in the U.S. <laughs> once this thing is tested. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so great. In the last, the last uh, few minutes I have with you, Stephen, um, my, my question that I ask everyone, I, there are two, is what advice would you give to other music teachers who may not be using music technology yet and are thinking about incorporating it into their, into their programs? I mean, it's so like what I've learned over the years, you know, the past some 16 years of introducing music technology in a school or um, working with other teachers using it, I, I just think allow a lot of time. Hmm. So you really plan quite far ahead. But also I think, yeah, allow a lot of time, but also you, you can, it takes a lot of time to get people excited about something new. And so recognize that, you know, they might just need a bit more time. You know, sometimes you can present a new idea. Let's try this product. Let's try this hardware. And people can be apprehensive. But I always think, don't give up. You know, take your time. Show them how it can make their lives a little bit better. Um, and eventually, through careful trial and error, and really involving as many people as you can. I mean, certainly some of the music technology we use on the administrative side of the department here, it took a whole academic year of piloting with a small group to slowly test things out, find out what could go wrong, and then we would roll it out to everyone. And it's the same with everything, I think. Right. Take your time, get to know it, really, and be that authentic champion. So make sure you know how to use it. Make sure you've gone on the training. Um, but persevere. It pays off in the long run. It just takes longer than you think it's going to take. Okay, that's great. I, I love the idea of, of taking time and not... I think some teachers make the mistake of trying to do everything at once. Yeah. And they get feel overwhelmed and frustrated and just give up. You know, they put yeah. their hands in the air and they say, this isn't for me. So also the idea of, of maybe taking it, uh, well, not only time, but, but doing, don't, don't try to do everything at once. Try to trickle in things over, you know, yeah. you know, in an academic year, try a, a note flight composition, try doing some yeah. type of composition, but you know, don't go crazy. I think. Yeah. And that's what we did. You know, we're setting those small targets meant they were achieved rather than two ambitious ones that were you feel remorseful about them not being achieved. Very good. Uh, and then um, before I ask my last question, um, do you have a, a website that you would mind sharing if people want to find out more about you and your program? Sure. Uh, the school website is www.clsg.org.uk. And that will tell you about the school, as well as there'll be a webpage for the music department. And there's a brochure on there about the music department as well. Because uh, obviously we are a normal school. Right. We like to think we're a music school, but we are a completely normal school. They do everything here. You know, academics, really, really important. But that website gives a real flavor of the school. And my own website, www.stephen-berryman.com, has a bit about my work at school, but also some of the work I do beyond school. So work with arts organizations such as Royal Opera House or London Philharmonic Orchestra um, and some of the research things I've done. So that's my own website for work beyond school. Fantastic. Because I, I know that you do many, many things other than teach at uh, City of London uh, School for Girls. So yeah, check out Stephen's site. And that's Stephen with a V. Um, yeah. Uh, so the last question for you, and I really appreciate the time uh, you've taken out of your day. No um, I, I always ask the magic wand question, which is mm -hmm. if you could have music technology or music first or any, uh, you know, hey, poof, uh, now this, this happens. Uh, what would it be if you could wave a magic wand? 
I mean, one thing for me, which I love to see is, I suppose, group work drives so much what we do in the classroom. I would love to have a platform where I could upload, say, a photo of a group of students that were, had just performed an assignment or just performed some work or anything creative or performance or something, and I could tag them. I could attach files to the individuals. Um, and so I would know that I could see that photo of the students and know whose recording is who, because that's the one thing I always find really oh, hard. Wow. I do my recordings. It's all labeled. And I think, oh, wait, what did Jessica play? What right. did Daniel play? Who was playing the xylophone? Who played the saxophone? And then if I could see it, it would just... So whether or not I could tag things in a photo, tag things in a video, that would be amazing. Yeah, that's a great idea. Make your life so much uh, more effective. And then really building in that assessment as a group model. And so rather than things being built around individuals, you could have the whole group of students commenting on each other and they all get tagged. Uh, a bit like a, a social media post. Right. So everyone involved in a group, everyone's tagged. Only those people can contribute teacher can contribute they can have this whole dialogue of uh, assessment self-assessment peer review between themselves that would be fantastic well we'll 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 start working on it that's something that we can do <laughs> very very good suggestion Stephen. i appreciate it well i'm going to be heading over to uh london in uh at the beginning of march and i really hope i get to spend some more time with you i really Great. i think that the folks listening uh are probably as fascinated as I am about your program, and I'm sure they're all going to be diving in. It's uh, clsg.org.uk, uh, that's correct, that's the school? Yeah. And Stephen with a V uh, hyphen Berryman dot uh, yeah. com. Really great to speak with you, and I look Thank forward you. to great. seeing you soon. Great, thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.